Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us Andrew McNair. Uh, this is a podcast that I've wanted to do for a long, long time, is to have some somebody come on that has wisdom and insight and experience when it comes to finances and to help us understand some of the things about spending and saving um, the culture. Andrew, we talk, have a question that we talk about the realities of what a checkbook or a credit card or whatever, maybe checkbook is dating myself, but a credit card, what would our credit card bills look like for a Christian compared to um, somebody who says they don't believe in Christ? And are there any differences? And what should they be the differences? We talk about spending and saving. Um, he gives some practical advice at the end of the podcast on what it means to, for parents to model um, for their children. He, he he shares about his, his personal challenge with greed and the story of how he, he he made a bunch of money and lost a bunch of money. Um, this is not a podcast where we're going to give you the six um, best stocks to invest in for, you know, to become wealthy, healthy and wise. Um, this is not financial advice in that sense. But what it is is principles, biblical principles on how we can um, really take our stewardship of our finances um, seriously and uh, and really appreciate Andrew being um, with us. Um, and he, we talk about the giving crisis, the reality of that we're spending more and more on ourselves rather than um, giving to others. He talks, uh, shares an interesting fact about the size of houses and how the size of our houses have changed, have gotten bigger, at least in the United States. And what does that say about ourselves? And uh, another interesting thing, we talk about our barns. How many barns do we need? And if we don't don't put a limit on. We end up continuing just to amass barns with more things um, and forgetting those that are around us. And uh, just really appreciated Andrew being on the podcast. And it was a fun one. Fun one. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here with a new friend today, Andrew McNair. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm so glad to, uh, glad to be on the show today. I am a little bit jealous. You're in Pensacola, Florida. Um, I saw the beaches there. They look beautiful. And I'm in Nairobi, Kenya. There's no beaches here and it's dark at night. But I'm a little bit jealous of you, <laughs> of you today. Andrew, would you go ahead and share a little bit about yourself before we jump into some of the questions? I've got to know you, I feel like, um, through reading your book, listening to your podcast. I feel like I've gotten to know you some, but probably the listeners haven't yet. So would you share just a little bit about yourself, about your books, about the podcast? I think that'd be great. Sure. Um, so my, my background is, is I have a wealth management and a hedge fund uh, by the name of Swan Capital and the Signet Fund. Uh, but my story starts off when I was 14. Uh, I read a Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, a version of that uh, series. And when my parents handed me this book, it flipped my world upside down. I didn't really care about varsity wrestling anymore. I started uh, worrying about making money. And I was also inspired by this FIRE movement, uh, financially uh, independent, retirement and retire early. And, and so I thought, wow, that would be very exciting to retire at the age of 40. And this voice that I had never heard before came over my shoulder and it kept on egging me on saying, work harder, 
make more money. And then so I got this job waiting tables, uh, being a server. And so I enjoyed that. But that voice grew louder and said, is that all you're going to do? Why don't you work harder? And then I saved up $62,000, 62000 US wow. dollars uh, at the age of 16. And wow. I thought, wow, uh, I've done a good job saving. But then 2008 happened. And I watched people's 401ks uh, drop into 201ks. And I was still <laughs> earn, turning at the financial firm. And I thought, wow, by waiting tables on the weekends and interning at this financial firm, I need to follow the advice I'm hearing people tell at this financial firm and invest. So I took my life savings and I put it in the stock market and it doubled to 142000 Wow. But fortunately, not unfortunately, I ended up at the age of 19 screaming into my pillow and punching my mattress and crying in my pillow because I ended up losing every single dollar. And as I sat there, my my net worth was zero and I had connected it with my self-worth and it was zero. And, and that greedy voice that was egging me on had moved on to its next victim. It was not there to mm. comfort me. And I made a promise with God. I made a promise to myself that if I was to ever do it differently and ever had the chance that I would give it away and mm. that I wouldn't just continue to accumulate and hoard money for a, a future, my own personal kingdom, but for an eternal kingdom. And that's how the giving crisis, uh, the book, the seed of that book was uh, deposited. Wow. Well, can you share just a little bit about your podcast too? Yeah. Uh, my podcast is called the rich, young and powerful podcast. And at first it, it probably scares a lot of people because it sounds like a prosperity gospel, but it's anything, but, I mean, this is a, a, a true bait and switch. And I named it after that because I really resonate with the rich, young ruler. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to be um, I wanted to be young and rich. I wanted to be powerful and influential and, so did the rich young ruler. And when he approached Jesus, Jesus asked him to make a trade. He'd, he'd asked him to leave everything behind, but he really was making a trade. He said, why don't you trade these earthly treasures, give it to the poor so you can have eternal treasures and follow me. Wow. And all, and obviously we know the scripture and he, he chose wrongly. And so I want others uh, who I bring on the podcast, philanthropists and people like Chris Tomlin, Danny Goki, and uh, Dabo Sweeney from Clemson, um, uh, the, the college football coach and philanthropists of our time to share their story and their ministries and how they're using their platforms to be everyday philanthropists. Not all of them are, uh, you know, rich, but they're using their platform to definitely make a kingdom impact. And, and I'm honored to be able to spotlight these charities and these missions. And it's really just to inspire the average giver to be obedient and radically generous. Wow. And that's what I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Um, one of the things I read in your book, you, talk, you shared that um, when you compare the bank statements and credit card statements between believers and non-believers, um, you'd be hard pressed to kind of find a difference between the two. How does that speak to Christian stewardship and where we're at in this time today? Yeah, you know, they talk about uh, comparing with the Joneses and competing with the Joneses. And the Joneses are looking over the fence at us and saying, 
Well, they don't really spend their money differently. If anything, mm-hmm. they just leave on Sundays to go to church. And that easy believism um, that doesn't ask much, and like Martin Luther says, you know, religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, is worth nothing. Mm-hmm. And so we know the facts that the average uh, American, for example, uh, spends 92% of their money on themselves. That's wow. that's the baseline uh, way to look at it. Is they spend ninety two percent of their money on themselves. They save six percent if they save anything at all, and then they only give two percent if they give it all. Yeah. And I hate to say it, it's not much different in the church. We know that mm. from statistics that the church's financial plan is not much different than the world's financial plan. And and that's where I want us to go back to that first century church and and be so radically generous that it makes the Roman Empire, any empire that you live in, like the American Empire, so curious to say, why are these Christians so generous? Yeah, that's good. That's a good word. It's a good word. And and I think a challenging thing, and that it stuck out to me when I read it, and it made me examine my personal finances. And, um, you know, we're, the majority of the listening in audience are probably missionaries that aren't, um, we're not making big bucks. But at the same time, I think that's the giving principle is 10% is 10%, 20% is still 20% of the amount that God has um, given us and the idea of being wise stewards, wise stewards with that. So do you think stewardship in in this day and age, is it something we've kind of pushed aside? It's something we don't want to focus on. When you speak of stewardship, how do you encourage people in that? I just uh, tell them to, you know, look at their scripture and that's, uh, you know, it's not me that's going to encourage them. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to encourage them. And, sure. and the only way that I know to hear directly from God is go to God's word. And it's very clear. I mean, um, as missionaries, when you go back to some of your supporting churches and your people that are supporting you is, is I mean, Jesus talked, what, one out of five sermons, he referenced money, used yeah. money as an example, and he wasn't silent silent on it because he knew that the connection between where our heart is, is where our treasure is. And so I would encourage those who are already giving to set a line in the sand. And this is what I encourage givers to do is set a line in the sand and say, for my family, we only need 50, we need a hundred, we need 150,000, whatever that number is, let's set a line in the sand of how much money we need. And as we prosper, as the Lord blesses us, let's actually return that blessing back to the Lord because of his goodness. And let's actually just not keep on moving the goalpost financially, hoping to do better because that's oftentimes what we're doing. And so I would encourage uh, missionaries and your audience to go back to their churches and and spread this word because it's biblical. I mean, tithing was never meant to be the ceiling. It was the floor. And I think if people started having that grasp, we would see a lot more generous of a church. Sure. Is that that principle you, I think in the book, you talk about the idea of limiting, setting a barn limit. Um, And you talk about that. Could you, I'd never heard somebody talk about it. I'd never heard somebody share it like that. It sparked my mind. Could you just share what you meant by setting the barn limit and what that means? Yes, I believe this story comes out of Luke. Jesus tells the parable um, of the rich fool, as it's oftentimes mentioned, is the the rich man who said, wow, look at this bountiful harvest I have, and I don't have enough 
already uh, to hold all of this bountiful harvest. I already have it stored up in uh, you know this barn. I'm going to have to build some more barns. And we see that in the United States, especially where people say, I have a lot stored up in my 401k. I probably should get a vacation home. If I have a second car, I probably should get a third car. And then the, the barns just keep on stacking up. And sadly, we don't feel any more fulfilled. So we need to set this limit to fulfillment, if you will, financially, where we're not going to keep on moving that goalpost. And we're going to say, my barn limit to run my family's finances is that $150,000. Just like, and I put it this way a lot of times, is live your life like a charity. If we hmm. heard of any charities whose operating expense budget was spending 96% on administrative costs, I mean, they would be front news about yeah. how they're bezeling the money and not giving it towards the mission. Well, when we die to ourselves, that means that we die to spending 96% on ourselves. And instead we say, Lord, your will be done. I I'm supposed to be the end uh, of something that really angers me. You've given me this righteous anger, Lord, towards sex trafficking and human trafficking. And I want to be the ends of that. And I want you, uh, Lord, to uh, put the people in my path and these ministries that I need to get a part of. And I want to be used by you, Lord. And I want you to use my resources is to help become the ends of the foster system in the United States that I don't want to see uh, 400,000 kids uh, without a home. And, and I think the Lord, Lord says, I can use that. You know, yeah. someone that's righteously angered, that is saddened and brokenhearted for a people group, and someone that's dedicating their finances and their time and resources towards that end. Yeah, that's a good word. A good word. Um, so we've talked a little bit about giving and um, what are some of the barriers and challenges you're seeing for people that keeps them from giving? Is it this idea that they want to keep it for themselves? You talk about some of those barriers um, and I just wanted to see if you'd share a few of those today. Yeah, I think it's subtle. I think it's that greedy little voice. I think my greedy voice was very pronounced, um, but I think it's more of a whisper for most people. They're probably not as naturally greedy as I am. I mean, that's a sin I, I truly do struggle with, and it's an addiction for me. And so I can hear its voice, and being in the financial industry, I can hear it loud and clear, even in my own life. But here's what it looks like for most people. What we know from statistics is that most people's income actually increases six to 12% per annum, never in a straight line, hmm. but they get promotions. They start off in college with this job and they work themselves up the corporate ladder. And what happens is their earnings grow faster than their expectations. Interesting. Uh, uh, sorry. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Their earnings. I sometimes get that backwards, but that's the, the facts. Their earnings are growing faster than their expectations. Uh, I got it tongue tied. Their expectations are always faster than their earnings. And the problem with that is we just never feel fulfilled. And that's why if you go back 50 years, our houses are 32% larger. And mm. if you compare our finances where we have record low unemployment to the Great Depression that has record high unemployment and the Great Depression, they gave 3.3% of, uh, of their income adjusted for inflation compared to a 2% giving rate today. Wow. Wow. That's hard to believe. Hard to believe. And our houses are that much bigger. That might be from all the uh, building shows that we have on television and the houses that we get to see. <laughs> you get to see, get to see what everybody else has. And um, agreed yeah, for sure. So the idea that wealth can make us um, 
happy or wealth can make us unhappy. Um, but God has a plan for how our wealth. Can you share just a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, what I have found in counseling families about finances is money really, and we all, I think we all do truly know this, is that money doesn't buy happiness. All money does is buy options. And if anything, uh, wealth creates a lot of worry. And and that's why I, I think Jesus is very clear talking about that uh, worry is something he talked about often and that those who covet oftentimes um, are going to find more worry. And I think I think it was Paul talking to Timothy um, about those who actually hurt themselves seeking after riches. And it's so true that, and I talk about this in the worry-free formula part of my book, is that when you take the Lord out of his righteous throne at the center of the universe, and in your finances, you put your own desires, your own expectations, um, of course, you lose gravitational rotation, how how your life is supposed sure. to be circling around Christ. And then you put something at the center of that, it doesn't fulfill you. It causes so much uncertainty and anxiety. And that's truly why, and I know this is controversial, what I'm about to say is, I think that's in part why there's so much anxiety and depression, especially in the United States, when we're supposed to be uh, a first world financially, we have so much um, anxiety is because we've taken Jesus out of his throne. Wow, that's a good word and a challenging one, I think, um, with that idea. You talked about the other one of the other things I want to ask you about was a savings and spending pyramid um, and how that can guide us. I like visualizations. I like things that are practical and I can visualize. And this was something that, that, that really spoke to me. Would you share a little bit about that for us? Certainly. You know, in school, I, I must have missed Wealth 101. And like you said, we have some beautiful beaches. I must have been skipping school and going to the beach that day when <laughs> Wealth 101 was taught because I was never taught how to, you know, spend my money. And unfortunately, my teachers uh, left that up to culture. And culture in the world said that if I don't have this infomercial, my life wouldn't be complete. And so I think this spending period is really helpful, especially for young adults um, that are just starting off in their career. Maybe they got a new job and you don't know the, the proper breakdown as a baseline of how much should I spend on housing? How much should I uh, spend on transportation? And of course, uh, tithing and generosity should be number one. We give God not our leftovers. We give him our first fruit. So we start off with that 10%. Then we long-term investing of 20%. And I, I stopped using the word saving just because um, I had a family member that will remain innocent. He said, Andrew, I save all the time. And I said, I'm curious, tell me more about that. Yeah. He said, I put money in my savings and in six months I spend it later. And I said, well, that's <laughs> that's not investing. That's that's delayed spending you're talking sure. about. And then we leave that seventy percent to be spent on us and our family, and and that's balance. And when we can be content in that seventy percent, that that what a beautiful feeling because we can be uh, joy filled that we have that seventy percent uh, when others seventy percent is so small we can enjoy our seventy percent and and feel very content. That's a good word. Good word. You talked about um, looking for the long term, the idea of, of putting away for the long term. Sometimes I think as missionaries and pastors, we can think, well, you know what? God's called me. I'm never going to need to retire. That's that's not retirements for other people. I'm not going to need to retire. I don't need to put away. 
What are some of the pitfalls or maybe some of the challenges you see for pastors and missionaries when it comes to thinking about retirement, um, saving for retirement, and maybe some words of wisdom that you could give? Certainly. Um, I I do believe that you mentioned it earlier that it's 20% of something. You know, even if you're not highly compensated being a missionary, I totally understand. And if you're dual occupation, and I totally understand. Um, but that's 20% is really uh, to help you never have to be a burden, to give your family options for your health. Uh, I hope people work right up until they pass away. We invented this thing called retirement. It, it yeah. didn't exist 2,000 years ago, and it's it's not a, a, a even a right. It's, it's not a guarantee, but I do think it is a good responsibility to uh, not have to be a burden on your family members, If and that's where that financial uh, assistance, putting it aside 20%. And people underestimate, God talked a lot about sowing and reaping. And Mm. we know that it doesn't take many kernels of corn to create another uh, field of corn. So we just need to pull off 20% 20% ideally uh, of that seed. We can't eat all the seed. We got to put some seed back uh, so that we can have a retirement. And, and if we let compound interest do its work, uh, which that's a that's a law of the universe that the Lord created for a good reason. And we can learn from that, that sowing reaping principle. So what is, could you just share what, is, what for somebody listening in, they're thinking, what is compound interest? What does that mean? And um, when should I begin the process of compound interest? Um, would, would you share that? Because there might be somebody that doesn't understand that principle. Yeah. Compound interest is is a marvel. It really is because it's, most people are very familiar with like simple interest, like a mortgage. Your mortgage payment doesn't usually stay this. It usually stays the same because it's a fixed interest rate and it's also simple. So the easiest example is if you have a hundred dollars and you earn seven percent interest on that, you the first year you have one hundred and seven dollars. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, if you ask them what's compound interest, what is it going to be in the second year? They well, they pull out a calculator, one hundred and seven dollars times seven percent. They think they're going to have a hundred. And 14. And they're surprised because they get a decimal point right after that. They get 114 and a decimal point. And I tell people that decimal point starts off really small and it's very minuscule. But over time, that that compounding, that little decimal point becomes very large. And and it's the difference between someone uh, that puts money away in the first 10 years versus someone that tries to put money away for the last 30 years. The person that put money away in the first 10 years of saving for retirement, they just never can catch up because the tortoise had a long handicap <laughs> that allowed them to start in the beginning. Yeah. And so so what I hear you saying is the earlier, the better. It's not something to wait Absolutely. until you're 50, not to wait till you're 55 or I'm 46, um, but it's something we, as soon as we can, beginning to engage in. Would that be, would that be accurate? Absolutely. And and again, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes talk a lot about seasons. And and I've heard it put this way that you have to be, you know, be really good at planting, you know, in the planting in the right season, or you have to start becoming really good at begging in another season. And there's so (laughs) much truth to that. Like you have to start planting in the right season because you're going to have a time of harvest. And if you wait till winter, you know, that's, that's too late because when spring comes along, you're going to be begging in spring and we don't want to be doing that. 
Uh, that's a good word. That's a good word. Um, you talked to one of the things you talk about is the the fears that can limit us. You you really have a passion for us to be a giving generation. And I think you mentioned the idea of an everyday philanthropist of that words that that becomes who we are. So what are some of the fears you think might hold us back from from being a, a giving generation and moving that needle from, I think you said, two percent to a, a greater percentage that we're a giving generation? Is that a fair question? Yeah, I, I think many times we just don't think the the Lord can provide for our contentment. And I think you see this from the Old Testament to the New Testament is I think it's sheer pride that that we think that we're going to have to do it ourselves. And so many times people want to say, well, I'm going to that finally do hear a message like this. They say, well, I'm going to jump out, take a leap of faith and I'm going to uh, test God in my giving. And I think that's great because, you know, God did say test him in his giving, but he also didn't tell you to test him in your spending. And most hmm. of the time people are spending too much and they wonder why they don't have any margin. And I think it's so important to have margin in your life and and I think the fear is is that we'll be unhappy and and what I found is is that the people that spend 80% of their money versus the people that spend 100% of their money they have about the same happiness but hmm. the difference is in retirement and when that sowing and reaping section happens in their life that harvest season one's unhappy because okay. they didn't plant early and I think the same could be for the giving is is we're we just don't realize how abundant it is to say, no, Lord, I'm going to dedicate my first fruits and that I'm going to set that apart as holy and I'm going to be a good steward. And we walk so much closer with God when we let him into every room of our of our soul. And oftentimes what's off limits, the last room that we let the Lord into is our, is our financial part of our house. That's a good word. So the idea that spend you mentioned there spending too much. What are maybe some time uh, some signs that maybe somebody's spending too much? Um, is there certain things that jump out to you? If Aaron Santemeyer comes, he um, talking to you, and maybe some things that I begin to say, and you're thinking, "Wow, he's he's spending too much." But I think at times, if we're for the one, we can justify. I found in my life that I can justify anything. Um, if I really think about it, you know what I mean? And that's, I think, a slippery slope. Certainly. But what are some things that when you think of some, when you think of spending too much, what are some things that would come to mind? Yeah, I, I think where I begin with this is I think we just need to have a clear definition of what's discretionary versus mandatory. Okay. And this is a very good couple conversation if you're married is, uh, honey, do we like water? Yep, I love water. Uh, do we electricity? Electricity is pretty mandatory. Ideally, it's nice to have, um, especially in the, uh, in the first world. It's really nice to have. Uh, do we want shelter? Might not even have to be the nicest shelter, but we need shelter. Uh, and then pretty much everything after food, water, electricity, that's pretty discretionary and open for debate. And many times when I see people's budget for housing and I see people's budget for two cars, um, two cars is not mandatory. Nowhere is mm -hmm. that in the Bill of Rights that you have to have two cars. Um, <laughs> but a lot of things have become really uh, what was discretionary uh, has become mandatory by culture. And mm -hmm. we need to swim against that. Yeah, that's it. It's challenging. It's challenging. You know, I think um, we look at culture, it seems to be our drift is that way. And we move towards what, what culture is and, and standing there and standing, um, standing, standing against the drift of, of culture and what it, what it pulls us, mm. 
pulls us towards. Um, you know, I think one of the the challenges is that as I look across the landscape is is we get pulled in that drift towards culture. Um, where do we, sometimes you don't know where to start or where did you talked about drawing a line in the stand? Where does somebody they're listening into this today? They say, you know what? I I want to. This resonates with me. I recognize that I'm spending too much. I'm not following the principles that that you're sharing. And but they just don't know, like, what is the first step that they can take um, to begin to move to stop that drift? Is does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, I think the first thing I would I tell people is go to the story of Zacchaeus. And that's pretty much all you, that's a good start for you because, you know, it, it's, I think it's on purpose. The rich young ruler is not far from Zacchaeus. They have two very parallel stories, but then they all diverge uh, okay. very quickly is Zacchaeus, um, you know, was again, very wealthy. And when he climbs up to see Jesus and Jesus calls him out by name and, and, and he says, you know, salvation has come to your house and Zacchaeus's response and his day of salvation is what generosity. And so I tell people is if you're that generous, are you really that grateful? Because Zacchaeus is saying, I have to give away half to the poor. I, I need to pay back all of those people that I wronged who I've probably ripped off doing their taxes. And that's the response in salvation. So if you have done well, you're working unto the Lord, which if you're a Christian and you're dual occupation or you're working in a field, hopefully you're working unto the Lord. You should be the best employee uh, that, that you've that you're employers ever seen. And if you're sure. self-employed, you should be growing your business and, and your income should be growing. And every time your income grows, if you get a 4% raise, a 10% raise, you should be splitting the difference. You say, Hey God, I thank you for giving me the health to go out and make more money this year. And you know, I got a 4% raise. I want to give 2% more this year. Hmm. And the other 2%, I'm going to spend an extra 1% because I did work really hard, but the other 1%, I'm going to increase my savings. If someone makes those incremental changes over a decade, two decades, three decades, you can take someone that is giving 5% of their income and take them to be you know, giving 15% of their income in a fairly short period of time. Um, and that's what I'd love to see. I'd yeah. love to see people just those incremental, that's true compounding. When yeah. someone makes those incremental changes over time, yeah, it's a good word. And so we've talked a lot about the one side of the the person that is not prepared to give and maybe not they're not uh being intentional with their finances. What about somebody on the other side of maybe that their total focus is on finances and they're holding on and you mentioned earlier on the idea of of greed um and maybe that's they're on the other end of the spectrum where they somebody we have to spend, 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 but then we have another person that they're they're holding on and maybe living fear might be a strong word, but they're living so focused on finances that they they don't want to give that way either. So is that could you just share a little bit about that? Because you shared that's kind of one of your struggles is with you pushing back that idea of greed because you work in the financial uh, realm. Um, could you would you share just a little bit about that, maybe to that kind of person that is someone that is maybe that's their struggle? Yeah, I could speak to that person. Um, is that ambitious person that keeps on pushing and that person that is focused on their their 401k and is a good saver? And many times, you know what 
really smart people have told me as they say, but Andrew, I've made great returns on my investments. My investments are growing by 10%. When I'm older, I'll give it away. Hmm. And you know what I tell people there is I say, you know what, when you give everything away at the end of your life, that takes zero faith because everyone does that when they die. I love hmm. that story about John D. Reck of, uh, you know, uh, Feller's accountant. Uh, he came back, you know, he's in a confidential relationship with the family of Rockefeller. And one of his uh, friends said, so how much did old John D. leave? And he said he left it all. Yeah. And that's what happens to all of us. When we die, we're going to leave it all behind. And the sad part is the person that waits to give it at the end of their life will not see the impact. They will not see the kingdom impact. So I want to give, do my giving while I'm living so mm. I can see where it's going. And wow. I want to be a part of that. And so I would encourage that person. The Also the person, I, I've seen so much pride in the business world where people say, well, Andrew, the things I've learned, I could do it all over again. I could give all my money away and I could do it all over again. And then for the real prideful person, uh, maybe I'm the only one positioned to tell them that is then do it. Because mm. if that's how you feel, then why don't you give it away and then do it again? And and I think the world would be better off if people would start doing that because the rate of return that the Lord promises is at the end of the rich young ruler, he says, for all those who gave everything, because Peter you know, puts his foot in his mouth and says, but we've left everything. And, and Jesus says, there'll be a hundredfold return and a hundredfold return. If you know compound interest or not, a hundredfold <laughs> return is good. Yeah. It's uh, I think we would all sign up for that any day. That is, as you said, that's a, that's a, that's a definitely a good one. Andrew, is there a question you think that I should have asked? You're a podcast host. This is your specialty area. It's not mine. I have my, my MBA, but obviously you know a lot more about this financial area than I do. Um, is there something that you think, Hey, that this would be really valuable for the audience or Aaron, you probably should have asked this question because I think it would be valuable. Here's what I would love to leave people with. One thing I don't want to miss out on is that we know from stats, Barna Research proves it, that those who are generous typically learn of their generosity habits from grandparents and parents. So if you model generosity, it makes a ripple that you can't even realize. One, for the kingdom impact of what your donation is giving now. But yeah. when your kids see a testimony, you know, I, I want my testimony to my kids to be as, don't, don't do what I do, do what I tell you. No, I want them to say, you know what? He didn't leave us a lot, but because he told us he wasn't going to leave yeah. us a lot. He told us that he was going to give it to Kingdom Impact, and we learned a thing or two, and we became generous because our father was generous. And we we know right now that there is an epidemic with giving right now because Barna Research asked this question, what's the ultimate financial goal of your life? And they asked by generation, and the response was saddening. Number six Number six, which is the right answer, by the way, is serve God with my money. Number one will provide for my family. Not a bad answer. Culture would say that's not a bad answer, but that's not what a believer should say. Number two was support the lifestyle I want. That's what culture says. That's hmm. not what people that claim Christianity should be saying. And then, by the way, there was a lot of other answers, but number six was serve God with our money. And that's the right response. And sadly, it's number six. And we have to start being a model for the millennials and the Gen Zers that this is what giving looks like. Yeah. And Andrew, so is, you know, I think, so we want to be a model. 
And is there some practical steps we can do that so it doesn't come off that we're flaunting um, or we're being um, bragging about our giving? But what are some ways that you think we could give and set a model, but it doesn't come off as prideful or bragging? Um, does that is that is that a fair question? Yeah. I, I think, you know, Jesus was very clear about letting your left hand not know what your right hand was doing. And it was about the heart issue about, you know, how the Pharisees were making a show of it. But if if I'm raising up and disciplining and, and, and showing by training up my child and my grandchild by, you know, having them put the money in the offering plate and then giving them an allowance and telling them that we're going to set aside 10% of your allowance um, for tithing. We're going to put 20% along for something you want to buy a year from now. I'm teaching them delayed gratification. I'm teaching them that the Lord comes first in their life. And I think that's a great testimony. I think you should be praying over the tithe every week with your family as a family saying, this is the financial uh, mission statement of our household. We're going to honor God with our time, our resources, and our money. And I think that that's not bragging. If you're doing it inside the family, I think that's actually our job. Money should yeah. not be a taboo subject. Yeah, it should that. be, if not, if we don't teach in the house, uh, in our house, the culture is going to teach our kids. No, I appreciate that very, very much. And a financial mission statement. Is that something you, you mentioned that? Is that something you, you encourage parents to do and families to have so that everybody's on the same page? And um, yeah, could you just share a minute about that? And then I'm going to ask you to pray for us. Absolutely. Um, this is a really good for anyone's a goal setter is many times I had my financial goals for most of my life that were all financial. I want this. I want this. And I want this. And I'll, I think I'm going to give credit to Craig Rochelle. He's getting credit for it is when you make your goals out is do it as an identity. I want my identity to be a philanthropist. I want to be a good steward, a good and faithful servant. So um, what I want for my financial goals, and this is the financial statement for my family, is I want money to pass through our lives, not into our lives. And if it mm. passes through my hands, and just enough to take care of my family, and the re most of it, the majority of it passes through my fingers to where God wants it to go, I think that's what God wants to see. And I think God will at the end of our life, say that's a good and yeah. faithful servant. Yeah. Andrew, I appreciate it. It's been an honor to spend some time with you and challenging us to uh, be wise stewards, um, to challenge us to be givers, intentional givers. Um, will you pray for us today, whatever direction Absolutely. God leads you? But I would, I would appreciate you praying for us. Dear Lord, everyone that's listening, uh, today is trying to serve you and have a closer relationship with you and help us not to neglect our finances and our walk with you. Help that to uh, be something we are open-handed with. And Lord, uh, help us to have a testimony of radical generosity um, so that others see that you're our provider, that we're not looking for anywhere else. Our manna, our water is going to come from you. You're our rock. You're our manna from above. And we're dependent upon you. And, and that's our testimony. That's our spiritual testimony that we're dependent upon you. And also it should be our financial testimony that we're dependent on you. And we just pray that uh, we live as salt and light as we go out this week and honor you with our finances. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.